Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 89 of Now We're Talking. This is a podcast about communication skills, and my name is Rob Danish, and I'm a professor of communication at the University of Waterloo in Canada. Uh, So I'm hoping this episode is fairly short because it deals with a very specific um, communication practice with some very uh, specific potential responses. Uh, And it comes because uh, I was watching recently the vice presidential debate between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence, and it happened during the debate really quickly. And then it seemed to have caused some controversy afterward because of the complexity of, of what happened. Um, but I, I call uh, what happened at that debate an example of a bear trap question. And so when one person, and it can happen in a political debate, it can happen in your personal life all the time also. It's not, um, it's not limited to political persuasion. There are bear trap questions in interpersonal relationships and small group relationships in presidential debates and every place in, in between. Um, so the, what, we want, what I want to talk about is what a bear trap question is, uh, why someone asks a bear trap question, and I guess most importantly, what to do about it. Um, so I, I think that bear trap questions often arise uh, because people are trying to change the subject or people are um, trying to neutralize another person's influence by discrediting them. So really what's going on is any bear trap question is an attempt to discredit the person that you're asking the question of. So you have to keep that in mind. Um, and the reason it tries to decredit, discredit the person is that um, you're trying to get that person to say something unpopular. So it's not an open-ended question. Um, it's not a, a form of humble inquiry like we've talked about before in this podcast. It's just an old trick. Um, the Pharisees, in fact, tried to play the trick on Jesus. Uh, they asked Jesus if healing someone wasn't working on the Sabbath. That's a kind of bear trap question, if I have ever heard one. Um, of course, Jesus, in response to the Pharisees' question, tells a story about a shepherd who discovered one of his sheep had fallen into a well, and he didn't think twice about saving the sheep. It's hard to, to continue to discredit a story, and so what I'll say in a second, that uh, that story is really the primary means of responding to bear trap questions. Um, but usually bear trap questions demand a kind of oversimplification. And that oversimplification is designed to highlight whichever side of a two-sided issue makes you look bad, or maybe both sides make you look bad. Um, and usually anytime you're introducing a change at all, a change in your relationship with your partner or with your group at work, or to society at large, you're going to get bear trap questions. Um, So for example, if I tell my kids that telling the truth is going to improve uh, their their lives and their work at school, they might respond with a bear trap question. So you're saying that we should always tell the truth. Uh, And there, always telling the truth, a yes or no answer will sound either wildly naive or as if you can, as if I condone lying as their parent. Um, so, you know, okay, here's the scenario. I I tell my kids, you know, you should tell the truth to your teacher and to 
your mom and I, and that will help improve how things are going. And then my kid's like, well, you're saying that I should always tell the truth. Uh, now I have a gross oversimplification and that demand for a yes or no answer that's likely to get me into a trap. Um, stories are the best way to resist oversimplification. And it's a much, much better way to answer than yes or no. I would tell a story about when I worked in an advertising agency. Uh, I, or I, sorry, I, I, was, I can make up a story about uh, a time when, for example, I worked in an advertising agency. Um, there at the agency, you're always making presentations. Every single type of presentation feels important. And most presentations involve a lot of money on the line. Uh, so I'm working with a, a friend of mine named Joe. Joe's about to deliver his first important presentation. Uh, Joe isn't like the smartest guy in the office, and he seemed a bit ill-prepared for his presentation. Now, just before he walks in, he turns to me and he asks if he thought he was going to do well. If I tell him the truth, I have to say no, because I don't think Joe's very good at his job or very well-prepared. If I didn't think he was going to do well. Uh, but it wasn't the time or place to say that. So instead, I could smile at him and say, sure, you'll be great. This That story, in response to my kid's question, draws the bear trapper in this case, my kids, into admitting it's just not that simple. So telling the truth is a complex issue. And stories are often perfect for complexity. Whenever the answer is both yes and no, a story will help you express that yes and no without looking wishy-washy. And besides, bear trappers aren't really looking for an answer. They want to catch you out. And so when you find yourself cornered by a kind of bear trap question, a story allows you to escape the trap and remain respectful of your questioner and also stay on track with your original intent. So what happened in the, in the debate is Mike Pence demanded to know whether Kamala Harris and Joe Biden intended to quote unquote pack the court by adding additional Supreme Court justices to the court. If she says yes, of course, that's a huge problem. If she says no, it's a huge problem for those on her left. Uh, and Mike Pence is essentially uh, distracted from the Supreme Court nomination process currently unfolding in the Senate and created a trap for Kamala Harris that was a yes or no, either or proposition. And that was a gross oversimplification of the issue. Now, Harris's response was, of course, to ignore the question altogether, and that was not very successful. So the morning after, you're still on CNN and on Fox News, on MSNBC, everyone's saying, well, Harris didn't really answer the question. Are Biden and Harris going to pack the court if they win? We still don't know. So the either-or framing remains in place. The oversimplification remains in place. The media reiterates or repeats or amplifies or recirculates that um, that oversimplified um, dichotomy or the oversimplified set of choices. And Harris really didn't handle the bear trap question very well at all. Um, it would have been much, much better if she had responded with a story that got at the complexity of the issues around the Supreme Court. So whether the story about, was about the origins, whether the story was about the last time the court expanded, um, or whether the story was about a time when she was treated unfairly, like the Democrats feel that they're treat, being treated, and how a kind of that unfairness was met with some complex response that was both respectful of others, yet generative of change. I can't, I can't tell Senator Harris herself, I can't tell her which story would have worked best. It 
probably should have been a personal story or a story related to to picking court positions or uh, the constitution of the, the the makeup of the Supreme Court, but some story there would have been would have been helpful. Of course, the other attempt, the other thing to do to respond to a bear trap question is just call it out for being a bear trap question. So you're asking me that question because you're trying to catch me in this thing. It's a it's a mechanism of distraction, um, and it's an oversimplification of the issue at hand. And the reason you're oversimplifying the issue um, is because uh, you're trying to discredit me and uh, my position. And it's, it kind of amazes me sometimes why uh, political candidates don't uh, say this more often, but you can certainly say it in an interpersonal uh, inter interpersonal setting. If your partner get, uh, like sets you up with a bear trap question and there's no good answer to it and you feel stuck, then you can say, well, it's more complicated than that. It's neither, not an either or situation. Um, the other kind of bear trap question that I think is is relevant and worth consideration uh, is a hypothetical. Uh, so I, I think, and I think um, Pence's question was really um, the either or oversimplification plus a hypothetical. So we don't actually know uh, if uh, Trump's Supreme Court nominee is going to get put on the court. There's a lot of uncertainty around that right now. So it's a hypothetical to assume that that person will be nominated and approved and put on the Supreme Court, and then Biden-Harris will be elected president and then have to deal with the, the fallout from that nomination process. So you, you've got multiple hypotheticals working at the same time. The hypotheticals kind of like accelerate or amplify the trapness of the bear trap question. Um, all hypotheticals are in some way traps but then hypotheticals that use an oversimplification or an overgeneralization and an either-or choice are particularly dangerous. Um, I try in my own life, my, both my personal life, my professional life, and all manner, to avoid all hypothetical questions. But when then, then when a hypothetical is attached to an either-or scenario uh, and a kind of generalization like that, you, you have to know it's a bear trap question. But again, the, the response can still be the same. That, that question the Pharisees asked to Jesus is also sort of a, a hypothetical. Um, they're trying to imagine a scenario that doesn't quite exist that tests uh, the commitment that Jesus makes or, or says we ought, we ought to be making. Um, I find philosophers are sort of notorious for hypothetical bear trap questions. Uh, it's one of the reasons I don't really get along very well with philosophers or have trouble getting along with philosophers. Uh, I don't like to be sitting at dinner and then asked a, a hypothetical bear trap question. Uh, have to come up with an answer on the spot uh, that is surely to cause further controversy and to make me look bad. Um, and I think so. Uh, you know, philosophers are are find this to be a kind of popular tactic. Um, but regardless, so let's say someone asks you a hypothetical. So someone in an interpersonal setting asked you a hypothetical uh, bear trap question. Um, I'm also a big fan of uh, Below Deck Mediterranean, that awful television show. And in the recent episodes of Below Deck Mediterranean, uh, the two of the cast members are dating one another, and one the cast member is looking from a distance, and another member of the crew puts their hand on the butt of the person, the original person's dating. And she like freaks out that somebody grabbed my boyfriend's butt. Um, and of course, the 
the response, like, so they have, there's like lots of conversations around this incident and it includes several bear trap questions. So, you know, uh, the, the other person involved says, well, you know, if my boyfriend was on the ship and somebody put their hand on my, like they invent a hypothetical and then they ask, well, would you be okay with this or not okay with that? Uh, and that hypothetical, of course, is a distraction from what really happened. One person felt it was disrespectful. The other person felt it was fine. There's a conflict of value and a conflict of perspective on what's going on. The hypothetical bear trap question doesn't help at all resolve that interpersonal tension. So in interpersonal settings, hypothetical bear trap questions can actually accelerate um, feelings of, of conflict or resentment or trouble because they are ways of kind of delegitimizing one person's perspective. If you don't like their perspective, you ask them a hypothetical bear trap to try and catch them out and see, and, see, and so you can say, see, like you're, you're, um, you're not being honest or um, you're somehow two-faced or uh, you're not holding a consistent position. Um, so yeah, a bear trap question can also be used to try and show that the person um, is the person being asked is somehow not always consistently saying the same thing. Um, but, you know, we don't have to always consistently say the same thing because sometimes situations are different and they call for, for different responses. But the attempt is this delegitimizing of that person for holding contrary or conflicting, conflicting viewpoints. Um, okay, so all of us should have ready at hand a set of stories about um, about bear trap that, that will help us respond to bear trap questions. So the question I get from my students, uh, for example, a bear trap question that I get from my students, um, a student will ask, uh, well, should this, you said the paper should be between five to seven pages. If it's over eight pages, um, does that mean I lose marks, you know, or no. So, you know, they haven't written a paper. It's not over eight pages. They're asking me a hypothetical. It's got a yes or no attached to it. And it's a simple, like, yeah, you either you lose marks for the paper being eight pages or you don't. Uh, and they're trying to like catch me out for my own standards. So I often respond with a story that goes something like this. Uh, you know, a few years ago, I was teaching this class on, um, on small group communication and they had a paper due and it was five to seven pages and I had this student named Melissa and uh, I remember she wrote this paper about symbolic convergence and the paper was one of the best things I've ever read. It was a brilliant, brilliant demonstration of both the theoretical concept of symbolic convergence, how to practically use it and how it shows up in workplace settings. And uh, when I graded her paper, what I said at the bottom of it was that this is one of the most outstanding pieces of work I've read by an undergraduate. You should be really proud. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you in the class. I'll remember this paper for a very long time. End of story. So I haven't told the student what this, I haven't told the student what I gave as a grade, um, but I've sort of indicated that it's complicated uh, when a student does really, really good work you're impressed and you don't think necessarily first about the grade. You try to think about these other things or articulate the complex in complex reason why the person was so good at or did such a good job in the first place. And so you move the conversation away 
from the grade at least. Um, so anyway, the, we should all have kind of ready at hand some stories and preferably personal stories, but we can also use fictional stories or anecdotes or examples from, um, from the world or from fiction or wherever we want to draw from to add some complexity back to the picture. Uh, I think this is important to recognize that, and this, I said this at the beginning of this episode, I just want to come back to it here at the end. The bear trap question is an oversimplification gotcha so that the, the, you can delegitimize um, another person. The response has to be um, adding complexity back to the situation, uh, not explicitly answering in the terms asked by the question, but addressing the situation uh, that the question refers to and addressing it through that additional complexity. I think story is the only way, I, the only communicative means I can think of for adequately accomplishing each of those tasks. So story is your best choice for re effectively responding to a bear trap question. Now, it baffles me, it just baffles me in politics that politicians don't use story on the debate stage or don't use story in response to journalist questions. They sort of end up on a debate stage or in a kind of town hall setting and someone asks them a bear trap question, they either avoid the question altogether, which they're trained well to do, or they make the mistake of answering it in a way that catches, catches them out. Uh, neither of these are, are very good. They would gain so much ground um, and more respect, uh, and they would gain the kind of communicative frame of the, of the situation they're responding to if they more effectively answered with story, but they just don't. So I hope or I would wish that Kamala Harris or Joe Biden the next time they're asked this, and Biden will be asked at the next presidential debate if he plans on packing the court, why he doesn't have a story in response to that bear trap question already in advance um, is, is beyond me. The same thing with taxes. You're gonna raise taxes, Joe, right? Um, well, he is probably going to raise taxes on on people that make over four hundred thousand dollars a year. So, the when they ask Joe Biden or Kamala Harris about raising taxes, they give that complexifying answer. They're like, "Yeah, we're going to raise taxes on people over four hundred thousand dollars, but not under four hundred thousand dollars a year." And then the Republicans say back, "But you're raising taxes." They're trying to oversimplify it again. So they they make the mistake of answering the question when a story about why taxes matter, why what fairness looks like would do much more communicative work and be much more engaging for the audience if they were to do that. Um, so really good leaders use story as a response to bear trap questions. Um, at, at the very least, you should recognize when someone's asking a bear trap question and be, be able to call them out for asking that question. So say, okay, this is a, a question that's oversimplifying things and gives me an either or and is a hypothetical so that I can't answer it fairly and you're doing it to delegitimize me. Um, at the very least, you could respond in that sort of way. Um, all right, that's it for, for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back shortly with another new episode.